I said amen. amen. Before you sit down, please turn to somebody and bless the person that understands your portion today in the name of Jesus. God will give you insight today in the name of Jesus. Healing is coming to you today again in the name of Jesus. From the top of your head to the sole of your feet. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Tell the person, healing is coming to you today. Totally, totally, total healing in the name of Jesus. Tell the person, pay attention. The Holy Spirit has something for you. Alright, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats, please. Let's quickly get into our teaching. Alright. Now, please, want to, I just realized, you know, I was thinking about it uh, yesterday that we have just a few uh, Saturdays to go and then we'll have to, we'll conclude for this year. And I want us to finish this particular series. It's not going to spill into our seminar week. And of course, we were not going to carry it over into the coming year. So, um, I want to quickly get, let me begin to conclude it. And good enough, we have only one thing that we, uh, we have left. Like I said, uh, at the beginning, this, of course, this title, this series is titled The, um, The True Service of God. That's what we've been looking at. And what we are talking about is, again, just using different words to explain how people are supposed to work for God. We're just teaching how to work for God, how people are supposed to do the work of God. I've said it again. Let me just repeat it one more time. If you can lay your hands on our book, How to Work for God, that's exactly what we are teaching. There will be a few differences between, of course, we are speaking by inspiration, so some new things will come in. Uh, if you can, lay your hands on the book. It will really be a blessing to you. Now, so, in that book I said, we have, we have the book, we have different segments. The last two, one is titled The Work of Rest, and last time I spoke about the issue of rest. Okay, I wanted to continue today, but because of time, I'll just quickly get into how to give as working for God. We know that is one very important topic. We cannot teach it enough. In Kingdom World Ministries here, I have taught about that again and again and again and again. And in fact, I'm doing it now just as a completeness matter because this will be put together as a particular, a single set of messages. So I wanted to just go inside. Otherwise, it's not something that I should start teaching again. For those of us who are here, we have trashed it to and fro, left and right, up and down. We have gone in and out on this particular subject. And I, I think, although Paul Peter said, even though I know you know it already, I will not neglect to remind you of these things. So for those of us who have been together here, what I'll be doing today is reminding us of these things. But for everybody else, if you are new, then maybe you are hearing our own opinion, which is the word of God we believe for the first time. But please try and pay attention. Okay, we'll take some um, sessions in explaining how to give as working for God. It is a very important subject in today's Christianity. It is very important. All you need to do is open, you put on your TV and watch what we call Christian television. The matter of money will just stare you in the face. It will just stare you in the face. If you watch some of our very famous TV channels, they take like two weeks, twice a year, all right, to raise money for the channel, which is not a bad thing in itself. It's not a bad thing. But I'm going to explain something to us again, Christians, today. We have to be careful that everything we do is according to the Word of God. There is a proper procedure for everything Christians are doing. We don't just do things the way we like. We must do things the way God commanded them to be done. You don't give the way you like. You give the way God commanded giving to be done. The fact is that sacrifices can be rejected. It is not every sacrifice that God receives. You go to the book of Genesis, you will see there were two sons there uh, that Adam had. One was called Cain and the other was Abel. Both of them brought sacrifices to God. And the Bible says that God rejected, he did not have respect for the sacrifice for Cain and for his sacrifice. Very important. Even though he brought his sacrifice, God did not receive it. Just because you are giving something to God does not mean it is acceptable to him. We must bear it in mind. And you see, under the new covenant, all right, let me just really say this. People will ask the question, why did God not receive the sacrifice of Cain? Was it because, all right, it was not a blood sacrifice? Was it because it was not the best? Now, I've had those arguments. That if it is not the best of what you have, God does not accept it. You know, <laughs> the Lord is good. All right, let me just leave it there, okay? God, you know, there are different ways he does things. So if you want to say, I want to give God my best, I actually heard somebody say something once, that they were taking offerings for refugees. And you see, I always give God my best. So I give them my best pair of shoes. And I laughed. 
refugees anywhere near your money shoes to anywhere. I don't know whether you are getting my point. They need what they need clacks. You know what they call clacks? Yeah, rugged shoes. No, that the God I give you my best. You now give them your gold-studded clothing line. Listen to me. Look, it's not going to help them, even though it's expensive for you. But for them, they don't need it. They need things that are tough. They need things that can help them. That I have one pair. You know what we call kakaroro? Kakaroro. This guy now, already guy, he understands. Kakaroro is one pair of shoes that you have. Hmm? On Sunday you polish it. It goes to church. On Monday it goes to work. On Saturdays it goes for jogging. Are you getting my point? Try to play football. Anything you want to do, it goes. When they say, let's go into the jungle, you wear it. Sunday, you shine it again, and it starts again. It's called kakaroro, otherwise known as never say die. Are you getting my point? <laughs> when you have something like that, okay, that is when you give, you see, you check the need. You're not trying to impress anybody. You check the need. The person you are giving to, the person needs this. It's not like, let me give the best because it's expensive to you. It might be useless to the other person, even though for you it's very, very costly. If I'm very hungry and you come to, and maybe you are from America, and as you want to give God your best, you give me a, what they call it, a Picasso painting. Picasso. You bring it to Nigeria, you want to give God your best. I say, how many souls can this one win? Just let me know. He said, you sell it. No Nigeria is giving me $500,000 for it. You can be sure of that. So if you want to give me, give God your best and it's me that's the instrument you are giving, don't bring me a Picasso painting. Go and auction it, then give me the cash. You are getting what I'm to say here. So sometimes people, you know, in thinking that they are trying to impress God, they say, let me give him my best. It is not that God doesn't reason like that. What God does, you see, when he was talking to Israelites, when he was going to take a proportion of their animals, as an example, when it was a time for tithing and they needed to give of the animals that they had, they were not allowed to select. Whether it was good or bad, you did not select. You just let them pass under a stick. Every tenth one you take. If the tenth tenth one is very good, you take. If the tenth one is very bad, you take. Whatever he wants, you randomly select. God didn't say, select for me the best of the Lord. The only thing he said, when it came to bringing sacrifices to him, you were not allowed to bring an animal that had a defect. That was was the only thing he said. Listen, because of course you can understand, there are many reasons for it, but one of them, well, let's not even go to the reason. But generally, that's how God is. So, let's just bear this in mind. So, it's not every sacrifice that he accepts. So it's the problem, therefore, is that for us believers today, if we don't understand the mind of God, we don't understand how he reasons, many times we are giving things to him and those things are not acceptable to him. And that is why we must teach it properly. Listen, let me just explain a few things. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm sorry to say it like this. In today's Christianity, many of our pastors have placed heavy yokes on people's necks. Their burdens are not easy at all. Let me get practical. You know, it's very interesting because some of these things, people talk by faith. If you want to walk by faith, let's walk by faith. You know, we're in Port Harcourt, we're joking. I said, somebody asked a question. I said, you pastor said you are interesting. Every month you collect 10%. Generally, you collect 100%. Then you collect. Now, you say, why do you say collect? You say it's compulsory. Then periodically, you say they need speciality. By the time you check it, a typical diligent Christian going to a particular church has to give that church alone 35% or more of what he earns. Now, I have no problem with that. I don't have any problem with giving 50%, 100%. But it must not be a burden. Once it is that if I don't do it, God will not bless me, it's a burden. Once if I don't do it, my prayers will not be answered, it's a burden. That's what I'm going to explain. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And that's one thing about Christianity and giving. It must not be burdensome. Now listen, let me tell you something about burden. For us Christians, our things must be spiritual. Are you getting my point? It is not about cash. It's not about cash. Because listen, a man can have a million and give a, a 100% but it's not burdensome. Do you know why? Because the Bible says it's as he proposed in his heart. So it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. Look, beginning of the of every school term, I have to pay fees, school fees, for a total that is the ones that are directly dependent on me. I pay between how many do I pay? Between six and seven, you know. That is this I'm not this is not these are not offerings. This is like you are the you are the parent or guardian, and you have to shell out the money. Do you know the truth? I may joke with my wife about it. Oh, this is a lot of money, these boys are these schools are collecting, you know? but it's not burdensome because it's it's from my heart. I put every other thing that I need to do, okay, in suspense. I, they wait 
until I've done this. And then something dropped in my mind years ago. I realized that, ah, these monies are getting heavy. Okay? Now, you may say that, hey, how is Uleman survive? I wasn't thinking about myself. I was thinking about other people. Do you understand? So, the time, when it's school fees time, that's how my wife and I was saying, okay, have you sent this person money? Have you spent this sent this person money? And it's not burdensome. Even if he wipes out every cobble I have at that particular point in time, it is not burdensome. Why? It's free will. Let me get back to it again. We began like this. For us Christians, we don't do it because we're trying to... What am I saying now? We walk in a manner pleasing to God all the time, but we're not doing this because we want to get something out of Him. We're not doing this because we want to bribe... Sorry to use the word, Him. We're not doing this because we want to rebuke the devourer. If you don't do this, now the devourer is coming to get you. We believers don't do anything for those reasons. We don't do anything for those reasons. Like I said before, later, I'm going to write a small article on the tithes of Abraham to teach Christians how to do what I call the tithing of Abraham. It's very important. One of the things you will see about it is that unlike what we teach a lot of times, the tithes of Abraham had a blessing, but the refusal to do it had no curse. Go and check your scripture. There was a blessing, but you don't do it, there was no curse attached to it. But the tithe of Moses, if you don't do it, the devourer is coming after you. It's coming after you. But for us believers, when we do things, we do like Abraham. Listen to me. I want to emphasize something here. We are not doing things because we want to get. You know, I've said this again and again, but we can't say it enough. Well, why it's not burdensome for us is that we are not under pressure. I'm doing this because I want to do it. Are you getting me? I want to do it. I'm in my house. You give me a plate of food. I eat it because I like it. I like the food. I like the food. But if my wife decides to save double portion of what I really want to eat, and I say, okay, I've eaten enough, and she says, no, instead of made food, wait for this house, Belen must bust. Then she stands there. <laughs> and she stands there and says, my husband, there's no wastage. You know, you say we must be like Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Christ said, gather up the remnants, let nothing be wasted. <laughs> and I sit down, and I start eating. Then it has become what? Burdensome. But do you know before that, if that pounded yam was heavy like this, and nobody was on my neck that you must finish it, you know it's possible I'll finish everything. That is the difference between giving as a, the spirit of Christ leads. And I'll explain what the meaning of spirit leading in a moment, or later on. That's the difference between that and giving under compulsion. You may be seeing the same amount of food. This time around, I'm eating it. Say, Pastor, you're still eating. He said, Madam, say we must be like Christ. You know, nothing must be wasted. And I'm there under pressure. Or another time you come, I'm eating the same amount of food. You say, ah, oh boy, you did work. I say, ah, try it. You too, you will like it. That's how it is with us believers. When we are given, it's something we like to do. I've heard statements like, ah, this one I've quoted many times. One man was preaching. He said, look, I don't know about you. When I give, I'm not settled on the, on the, on the, until the returns come in. That is not Christianity. He said, I want to know whether I gave into a fertile ground. Let me define for you what a fertile ground is. A fertile ground is not whether it will produce for you or not. It, it is relevant. It is irrelevant. Whether it produces for you or not does not determine the fertility of the ground. What makes a fertile ground is whether the fellow is in need or is not in need. Do you get my point? I've heard people say that, listen, the good place to plant in this ministry that's winning souls. Listen, the good place to plant is where the money is needed. Let me just put it like that. If you are convinced of what they are doing, if your heart is towards soul winning and you can see the ministry is winning souls, it is a good place to plant. But not because of what you are going to get. If you see people who are in need and you give to them, that's a good place to plant. Because the Bible says that, listen, whoever gives to the poor, lends to the poor, honors his maker. Anytime you give to God in quote, it's a good place to plant. Please, I need to emphasize this towards Christians. Our giving is not under compulsion. Is stimulated by spirit, the spirit of Christ in us. Our giving is not done because we want to get anything. I keep on saying it. Let's say it again and again until everybody believes it. God is not giving to you because you give first. It's the other way around. You are giving to God because he gave you first. It is the other way around. The Bible says clearly why we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for the sinner while we're yet in our sins. And it says that if he did, how much more will he freely? The emphasis is on freely. Give to us all things. What he does is to give to us freely. We never give to him because we want to get. It's a very popular practice in Christianity. That if you are looking for something, you sow a seed for it. It is not found at all in the scripture. Nobody practices like that. 
James said, you have not because you ask not. When you ask, you don't get. It is because you ask wrongly. Your motives are wrong. And we're going to see it. He said, I, the Lord, I test the heart. I want to emphasize that. As Christians, this is very important. As Christians, the motive for what we are doing is important. That's why when people tell me that God just says, so you will reap. I say, he said, I check the heart. If I'm giving because of what I'm going to get, then most certainly the motive is not good. It's called the, I call it the, the labor of selfishness. There's labor of love. What's the labor of love? When I'm looking at what the person who I'm going to give to is going to get, gain from it. When I look at what the ministry I'm giving to is going to gain from it. When I look at the people I'm giving to, what they are going to gain from it. If that is the thing that is paramount in my mind, it is called the labor of love. That is the labor of love. But if what I'm going to get is what is paramount in my mind, the fact is that I have not given, I have invested. And like I said jokingly but truthfully all the time, I said God loves a cheerful giver, not a cheerful investor. There's a word of difference between the two. Somebody says to me that, but he said, give and it shall be given unto you. And I always answer, there's a difference between give and it shall be given unto you. There's a difference between that and give so that it shall be given unto you. What is the difference? Give and it shall, it shall be given unto you is describing a law of life. It's like everything that goes up must come down. That particular principle did not talk about motive. And God said, however, I the Lord. Let's read that. Very important. Jeremiah chapter 17. For time's sake, I just read out to you because mine is already open. From verse 9, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now verse 10 says, I the Lord, I search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways. According to the results of his deeds. That's Jeremiah chapter 17. I just read verses 9 and 10. What am I trying to emphasize here? What is he saying here? God says, before I reward your works, I check your heart. So I say to Christians, motives count when it comes to giving to God. So when we're talking about how to give to God as working for him. When we're talking about it, we are going to talk about motives. Motive counts. Motive counts. And I'm starting by explaining that. Let's debunk, let's throw away from our minds all these motives that Christians often have for their giving. The motive that I need to do it so I can be blessed is taken away from the sacrifice of Christ. The only thing God needs to bless you is he needs to take a glance at what Jesus did for you. And that scripture I've quoted it many times, but it's the word of God. We can't quote it enough. 7 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 9, he said, We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in that he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, all right, so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. The reason why God is blessing us is because Jesus paid for it. Are we getting my point here? It's important. Let's get it clear. It's so important. You see, if you don't understand this thing, serving God is going to be burdensome. Now listen to this. Our motives count with God. So we must get our motives right. We must get our motives right. And I've been explaining. So we Christians, okay, I'll just reveal it. So we know that we're not giving because we want to be blessed. We are already blessed. We are already blessed. We are already blessed. If you believe that, please do more than nodding. We are already blessed. You are already blessed. The basis of blessing is the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. We are not giving because we want the devourer to leave, leave us alone. If you are around on Tuesday, you will hear when I taught about the fact that even the most powerful juju man on the earth, that is maybe one of the most powerful that this earth ever saw, declared that for us in Christ Jesus, no, for the Jew, he said enchantments against them don't work. And we said they had a covenant inferior to what we have right now. So we know in Christ we are safe. Are you getting my point here? In Christ we are safe. Say, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow, the covering, the protection, the defense, the overshadowing presence of the Almighty. So we are not giving to him because we want protection. Very important we understand that. Our motives count. Why are we giving to God? The simple reason, I'll put it in two areas. The f- simple reason why we are giving is one, we love God. Two, we love the brethren. Every other thing is a manifestation of these two facts. One, we love the Lord. 
Two, we love the brethren. We are not giving so that God can multiply it back to us. There are statements I've heard, I like to repeat so that you know I've heard it before, I just don't agree. People say supplies don't answer to prayer, supplies answer to seed. That is not scripture. The scripture says, ask and you shall shall receive that your joy may be full. James said, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we Christians, we do something very funny thing. We just behave as if the Bible did not say something about something. Even though some things are so clear. I give the example. Churches, when they want to collect money, if you are giving one million, stand up. 500,000, stand up. Now, I'm not saying it's always totally wrong. There will be occasions once in a while. Maybe you are close brethren together. You want to be sure the money is complete. And it's not like uh, we are sowing seed offering. Okay, how many are you? Okay, you give us 5,000, right? Okay, you, you said 6,000. Okay, everything, okay, 25. You know, it happens. But as a habit, we should know that the Lord said we shouldn't be giving publicly. It's so, it's so there that even if we wanted to do the opposite, it should be rare. But why do we make this other one the norm? We know the reason why we do it a lot of times. We put ourselves under pressure. That's it. Remember what I said some time ago? Don't touch that scripture. Just leave the scripture alone. Don't try and make it like it's not there. It is there. It is clear. How do you want to receive from God? Jesus said, I'm telling you that the Father himself loves you. I'm even telling you that you don't, I'm not even going to beg him for you. Once you ask the Father in my name, because he loves you, he will answer your prayer. Categorical statement. Ask, he said, and you shall receive that your joy might be full. Categorical statement. Let's not take away from it. Very important. So we're emphasizing that our motives count, so I'm removing the wrong motives. I've seen people who not understand the principle of sowing and reaping. They will tell you that I'm giving my offerings in dollars so that God can pay me back in dollars. I heard a man say, look, I gave out a lot of tithes and tithes started coming back inside to my life. I hear such things and I'm, I'm amazed. You read the scripture, even when it appeared like God just rewarded somebody for, for what he did. You will see the reward is really not even what the person did. A woman came and honored the man of God, Elisha. Elisha, she didn't sow a child into her life, into his life. That is when he blessed him back. She delivered the son. That's what Elisha did. And that's why Paul said that my God shall supply. When Paul was speaking, he said, my God shall supply all your needs. He was careful to put the word needs. Because this, this is an important principle of seed soil we must talk about, alright? As we go on, let me just explain these things first. Getting our motives right. We're not giving to God because we want to be righteous. We're already righteous in Christ. We're not giving to Him so He can answer us. He answers us because of the name of Jesus Christ. We're not giving to Him so He can multiply, multiply back. Our needs are supplied when we ask in the name of Jesus. Like I said earlier, why do we give to Him? It is for two reasons. One, because we love Him. I want to be found faithful. And number two, because we love the people that we are ministering to, the brethren. And Paul will say, if you read that Hebrews chapter, well, I assume it was Paul, Hebrews chapter uh, 6, all right? He will say that God is not unjust, verse 10, so as to forget your work and the love that you have shown towards his name, in that you minister to the saints and you still do minister. God saw that they were showing love to the saints. Are you getting my point here? It was that love they were showing to the saints. That he was focusing on. People think that the principle of give, you just give and God will just reward it back. I will explain the principle again. When it comes to money matters, the seed sowing matter, always bear this in mind. What is the seed? Then what is the field? It's important. When I'm talking about the spiritual um, um, principle of seed sowing and harvest, the seed is spiritual. If the field is already spiritual, like we agreed upon, what does that mean? Money is not a seed. Money is a material thing. It cannot enter the realm of the spirit. So God doesn't multiply money back. You didn't sow money. What did you sow? The thing that money is carrying. You read the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 6. He says something. 
The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. What was I trying to say here? Listen, it's a spiritual principle. That when you see something material, that is not the real thing. The real thing is the spirit behind it. He was applying that spiritual principle to his words. He said, the words that I speak is not the word. I know, listen to me. I have been preaching for a while. And have realized that it's not the words of a preacher that matters. There are times people will say, oh, that thing you said, it changed my life. And I feel like pinching my wife. Did I say anything? There are days I finish ministering here. Ask my wife. I will get home. I will be feeling like, thank you. This is why you need to fast more and pray more. You just went there today and wasted people's time. They came today, sat and listened to you. For one and a half hours, they left that place empty. Then wait till my phone starts buzzing. Sir, God bless you. The word for today was my own. Yea, I could hardly sit down. As you were speaking, my spirit was bubbling. Sir, as you were talking, I suddenly realized, ah, it was as if God was talking to me. I tell, and then, oh, my wife said, will say, oh, my husband, you were on fire today. Oh. And I'm looking like, what? Are all of you together? But they can't all be wrong and I'll be the one that is right. Earlier on on in ministry, I realized the dangers. Now, this will be funny. It won't apply to everybody. But if you are like me, you know what I'm saying. Earlier on in ministry, I realized the danger of a well-prepared sermon. It's really the worst sermon of your life. There was a time. (laughs) Very very early on in ministry. I was supposed to go back to the campus I graduated from to come and teach them. So, I was excited. I had more than maybe a month or six weeks or two weeks notice, two months notice. So I was preparing my sermon. I had this order to them. Collected the scripture from Genesis and collected from Revelation. You go, go take from Exodus. You take from Jude. You take, you know, my point. You arrange the scripture so that it was mathematically accurate. And the first day of the message, as I was preaching, my sermon was right there in front of me. So was I getting more tired by the minute. I knew there was no anointing. Ah, that day when I finally finished, I was relieved more than the people was disturbing their souls. I was more relieved to get off the pulpit. When I got back to where I was staying, I took my sermon that I had prepared for the last two months. And by myself, tore it to pieces and threw it away. I said, Lord, I'm very sorry. I pray, Lord, please, now that I have come, bless these people. They have gathered, they have their time for other things. They are students. Let me not waste their time. Please speak through me to them. Next day, when I was supposed to preach, continue that next day. You know what I did? I went even without my Bible. That was how humble I was. I did not even go with a Bible. I've, I did, lest I have something inside that Bible I marked. I left it behind. I said, I'm not going with it. I walked straight to the hall with nothing in my hands. Got into the hall. Normally, check one scripture. There was no Bible to check. I didn't have. As they were doing praise, worship, everything, I, I joined. Prayer, I joined. And in the name of Jesus, I was there worshiping with everybody. Father, let us, let us invite for the word of God, our brother Bank. Yeah, they clapped. And I walked to the front, no Bible. Just before I got to the, to the front to start preaching, I tapped the person last on the row in front. Can I borrow your Bible, please? I got it from him. The Bible I'd never seen. I laid that one on the pulpit. Then the fire fell. Hallelujah. <laughs> that day, one of our senior brothers came that day. His mouth was open throughout. These are the people who laid hands on us to be filled with the Spirit. These are the people that used to lay hands on us. We felt honored to carry their Bibles. Then he came in and saw me preaching. And his mouth dropped open. And said, what, whatever happened to this boy? You know that kind of thing? His mouth was open. He said, if I, I remember what he said. Ah, ah, see bank you. See bank you. See bank you. That's what he was telling everybody. The one I did to one man one day, he called me and said, Pastor Bank, you are waiting for you. I said, where? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. You didn't go here. I was driving somewhere. My phone rang. Ah, hello, sir. I said, Pastor Banky, we are waiting. I said, waiting for what? 
You're supposed to bring this thing to us. Uh, it's about time for the word. <laughs> Where? He told me, where's the venue? He said, uh, um, if you're not ready, I said, don't worry, I'm on my way, don't worry. Um, Izu, you remember that day, you came to visit me that day. It was from him, I borrowed the pen. I said, Izu, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I said, eh, sir, what, what did he say the topic was again? <laughs> he told me, I ran, I bolted to the place. I sat down there. They called me up. That this, I started decided what to preach after, I, after while I was greeting them. So nice to be with you guys today. We thank the Lord. Um, <laughs> now, don't think I was being irresponsible. I wasn't. What happened? Somebody had told me for that. Please, oh, there's this program that's coming up that he will get back to me to confirm. Will I be able to go? I said no problem. And he never got back to me. And it was a third party, not this man who was calling me now, it was somebody else. So he never got back to me. But between the two of them, they agreed that Banky will come. The person talking to me said, I will confirm to you. And we never spoke to him about it again. But that day, believe me, later I told me, ah, he said we were heavily imparted by, by that message. Ah, that's between you and your God. Because as for this guy, I was not ready for you people at all. That just, all of this is an aside. I'm talking about, that's why I said that I learned what I call the dangers of a well-prepared sermon. Because many of the times, <laughs> you are speaking your own thoughts. Yes. That's, that's, like I said, not, doesn't apply for everybody. That's just the way it is with me. Are you getting my point? Now, why did I go into all of that? That was what the Lord meant when he said, the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And all these years of ministering, I have understood that. I have realized that God just sets us up to carry his spirit. That's what he does. He sets us up to carry his spirit. So as a minister, you have to focus on clearing your heart, clearing your spirit to allow the spirit of God to flow. Why do I read? Why do I prepare? Why do I pray? Prayer for me, this is my own, is the most important thing when it comes to delivery message. Every time, even in kingdom word, every time before I step onto the pulpit, I never forget to ask and say to the Lord, Lord, speak through me to your people today. What is the word you want them to hear? Many times I have the word before I come up. Most times it is while I am speaking, the word comes. A lot of times I have something I have in mind I want to say. As I begin to preach, you hear me say, okay, what I wanted to say today, I didn't get there. But next time we'll see whether we can get there. As I begin to speak that, there's something that begins to flow. And because of experience, I've learned to leave it. I like to flow. So as a preacher, what do you do? You make sure all the time you are well fed with God's word. You keep on filling your heart with understanding, filling your heart with information, filling your heart with the knowledge of God. So that what that does is to boost, listen, I'm not joking about this. What that does is to boost your faith to be able to speak when the Holy Spirit wants to speak. Because if you don't have that background information, sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to say something through you, you will resist it because you don't know whether it's true or false. John Jillick will tell you, that many times he will go and preach. He will quote a scripture. He has never heard it. It will drop from his mouth. He will be shocked. And he will go back and check. And the scripture is there. He said there are times he will quote things. Not scripture now. Events. He will just say something like in 1846 this happened. It will have fallen from his mouth before he realized that something. That he, he said something. He will go back. He had a friend who was a librarian. Please, please. I said this. Is it true? They must say, oh yes. You know, in 1846. Ah, you mean it is true? He spoke by the spirit. That's why Paul will tell you. The things I'm delivering to you concerning the Last Supper, I did not hear from anybody. <laughs> it was not the account of Peter I'm telling you. I'm telling you what I heard directly from the Lord concerning what happened that night. I know the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Peter didn't tell me. James did not tell me. These were things I got from the Spirit of God. That's an aside. Let's get back to the message. So he found out that Jesus, there was a principle there. He said, the word that I speak, no, he said that the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. What was he saying? In everything in life, check the spirit behind it. It's not the action itself. It's not the thing itself. It is the spirit. Well, no, we're talking about giving and working for God. How to give and it is a work of God. Remember, it is the spirit. It is not the flesh. When you are giving, it is not money. Money in itself is nothing. When you are giving, it's not food. Food, bread in itself is nothing. When you are doing all of these things, those things themselves, they are nothing. This is something that is behind it that matters. 
That is why a Christian cannot give so he wants to get and he expects to be blessed. Why? What is behind it? Selfishness. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. I preached a message some time ago. Get it if you can and, pray and, and listen to it. I call the switch of God's power. Christians must learn how to do good works continually. He said, sow your seed in the morning. At night, don't withhold sowing your seeds. He said, Solomon was explaining, you don't know which one will prosper. It's a spiritual principle. What was it that? Listen, make the doing of good works a habit. Stop doing something. I want to do this so I can get this. It does not work. And common sense tells us it doesn't work. But we preach that it works so much, we think it works. But it doesn't work. God does not accept those offerings. You come to God and say, I'm giving. And look, listen, listen, listen. You must understand, it's important as a believer, you don't insult the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't take away from the sacrifice of Jesus. That's all God needs to do something for you. He doesn't need the one you are doing as an excuse to do something for you. Everything we do in life as believers, like I said, motive counts. They must be propelled by faith. And the Bible says faith works by love. So everything is because of the love of God. And the love of the brethren. That's it. Everything is deciphered from inside those two things. Upon these two commandments, he says, hang the law and the prophets. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest? He said, said, what do you think? He said, love the Lord that God taught thy heart. I said, you are very correct. He said, but the second one that's like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. So upon these two commandments, hang the whole law and the prophets. And when Paul was writing to the Galatians chapter 5, he said, walk by the Spirit. He was talking about the Spirit of that law. He wasn't talking about, you know, walk by No. So what is the Spirit behind love? What is the Spirit, sorry, what is the Spirit behind the law? He says, the Spirit of love. That is how we do things as believers. That is how we give to God. We are not giving to God so that He will love us more. He loves us enough already. We are not given to God so we will prosper. Prosperity is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for it. Why are we giving? We love God. And like I always like to say, why am I breathing? It's because I'm alive. Are you getting my point? Why do I love my wife? Because I'm her husband. That's the primary reason you love your wife. Because you are her husband. I'm going to something here. Why do I give? It's because I'm a giver. Do you get my point? What's the number one reason Christians give? They are givers. They are givers. And what Jesus did was to, when when we gave our lives to Christ, the power, the authority to become sons of God is not just a document. It's a spirit that he pours into us. So he says, "Be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That is, you are not like your father. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the word that he gave. It's his habit. It's a habit of godliness. It's a habit of godliness. Godly people are givers. Very important we get it. When we talk about having the spirit of Christ, you know, when the Bible says that as many as are led by the spirit, I grew up misunderstanding that scripture. As many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. So they say, okay, who do you want to marry? I want to marry Ufoma. Did, did the Spirit lead you? I said, what did he say? Did the Spirit lead you? Ah, which one now? Did the Spirit lead you? What did the Spirit say to you? So now go and pray. I know the truth. Eventually, the Spirit will lead you. But once you like the girl, Spirit, you are better cooperate. This one will do so. We will fast and pray on the Spirit talking on if he speaks otherwise, say, get behind me, Satan. Start again. We thought that was what it meant to be led by the Spirit. No. That's not what it meant. Does the Holy Spirit lead people? Yes, of course. Oh, God. He does. He speaks sometimes. You would think somebody spoke to you physically. Sometimes you dream and he speaks. Sometimes an impression drops in your heart so strong. You know, it didn't, that could not have come from you. You start checking. Sometimes an angel will stop you and tell you something. Sometimes an an angel will literally hold you by the hand and take you somewhere. He leads. Sometimes he just propels you. You don't know where you're just moving, moving. You don't know. You you know somebody's pushing you. So the Holy Spirit leads different ways. I know he does. 
But when he said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that was not what he meant. What he meant is that everything you are doing, the flesh profits nothing. It is what? The Spirit. That is, you see the man who is giving. Why is he giving? That is the Spirit. The why. Like they say, Western Nigeria, you see an adult running in the afternoon. There are one of two things. Either he's pursuing something, or something is pursuing him. You have to check his front and check his back before you can interpret the running. If you look behind and you see Bingo doing, whoa, whoa, you know something is pursuing him. But if you look in front and somebody is going away with his car, you know he's pursuing something. <laughs> The thing that's pursuing you is what Jesus, Paul called the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, as opposed to the Spirit of flesh, as opposed to the Spirit of the world, as opposed to the Spirit of covetousness, as opposed to the Spirit of anger, as opposed to the Spirit of jealousy, as opposed to the Spirit of, you know, aggrandizement. That's what he's talking about. As opposed to the Spirit of hatred. There are people who are being led by the Spirit of competition. Who came into this church now has 700 people. When he did enter ministry, I remember we laid hands on him when he was starting. It is because he went to Lagos. This Enugu, there's nothing in it. They will now pack the church in Enugu up and go to Lagos. Why? Okemuti that started yesterday, his best day last week, I heard that the brethren gathered together and presented to him the newest model Toyota, uh, 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 Toyota Accord. There's nothing like that. I said it deliberately. <laughs> I said it deliberately. It was, it was deliberate. <laughs> He's there. His members, can you imagine? Hey. Meanwhile, and you know, you know, the, the devil is very, very wicked when he wants to tempt man of God. The week before, Udechuku just came to carry your car and he has not returned it for two days because he says, ah, your brain box is dead. <laughs> And you have been going around between taxi and keke and boss, man of God. And the boys you brought up in ministry. And that new one is the one the church gave you. The one one brother he specially blessed gave him. It's a different matter. That one is a Honda RAV4. So when that man relocates from Enugu to Lagos and he says that the Holy Spirit says I should go, no. The Bible says as many as are being led by the spirit of jealousy, the spirit of competition, they are not behaving as sons of God. Are you getting my point here? But as many as being led by the spirit of God, that same spirit that was in Christ Jesus, that was a spirit of sacrifice, a spirit that said we must preach the gospel, a spirit that says none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life as dear unto myself. The spirit that says, ah, if it is the work of God who must do it, that this country does not have any hope outside the revelation of the sons of God. So it's pushing. So let's teach. Let us evangelize. Let's do apostolic work. So if that person finds himself in Lagos, without the Holy Spirit saying something directly to him, he was led by the Spirit of God. He said, what if that's not God's plan for him? Trust me what I'm about to say. The Holy Spirit would literally stop it and says, my son, you can't go. That's why Paul, without the Holy Spirit telling him anything, tried to go into a number of cities. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Where do we go? They had a dream. Come over to Macedonia and come and help us. Like I said to Paul all the time, purify your motives. When you purify your motives, you will do what is right. Purify your motives. Don't let the world tell you things. At your age, you should have done this. It's the world telling you things. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let them tell you things. Don't let them tell you what you are supposed to have accomplished at this particular time. Don't let them tell you what is expected of your mate. I've heard people tell me things like, you know, your wife at such time should be seated down, you know, as a senior, as a senior person should be seated with her hands crossed, legs crossed. Yaijor, you know? Yayad. These are, these are Western terms. You know? But, you know, I actually believe some of those things until one day I realized something. That Jesus said, whoever will be the greatest amongst you will be the most serving one. 
that Jesus said, everybody, let me do for you what the lowest of slaves do in the household. Many of us don't understand the significance of feet washing. When Jesus washed their feet, listen, what was terrifying to Peter was that in a normal household, the middle-level servants don't wash feet. When you get to a, a, a household that has servants and slaves, normally the washing of feet is reserved for the most junior. That was why John said, there's he coming after me, who is greater than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That is, I'm lower than the lowest of slaves in his presence. <laughs> That's the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is the serving spirit. The spirit of Christ is that spirit that just wants to manifest good and kindness towards people. As many as are led by that spirit, they are the sons of God. As many as are propelled, their actions are decided by that spirit. Now let's turn to that way. As many as are given because they want to get, they are the sons of the devil. Okay, now. Are you see what I'm saying here? That's not the spirit of Christ. I've even said that God gave and he got back. But why did he give? He said so that they might have eternal life and not perish. That is a why. He said God wanted many more sons. He said what do I do? Let me sow. Let me sow Jesus. Now get many more sons. That is a perverted interpretation of what Jesus did. The Bible told us what he did. He said he looked and they were perishing. They were perishing. So he gave so that they would not perish, but that they might have. Let's even forget the father for a moment. Consider Jesus. <laughs> Listen to me. When I heard somebody preach, I won't tell you what the person preached. I was afraid. That's why I can't repeat it to you. Because his preach was so heavy. That the sacrifice of Jesus is eternal. It's not as if he did it and got back to what he used to be. He said no. That what Jesus did, he gave what he had and that's it, it's gone. I want to realize it further than that. This was how the man explained it. He said he told his son, assume he had an aquarium, I think he had an aquarium, an aquarium of fish. Assume your fish, they had, had trouble. Would you like to save them? The son said yes. If you could jump inside and save all of them, would you like to do it? The son said yes. So what if I told you to do it, you will become a fish and remain a fish forever? The boy looked like he did a joke. I go die for a fish, stay with them permanently. Forget fish, all of them perish. You're on your own. Like I said, I won't say more than that. The man taught and explained. But he was trying to talk about the heaviness of the sacrifice of Jesus. That don't think it was something that he did on holiday. And it's back to work. Back to being what he used to be. The Bible says he ever lived to make intercession. Ever. That he has entered once and for all. He didn't come out. Listen, Christians learn to do sacrifice. Not this old Kuruku sacrifice. When you are about to get broke, you have 10,000, you're missing the 2,000. Say, ah, God, this thing goes so finished. Okay, take 1,000. God said, You didn't give me. You want me to replenish. That's not giving, that's investing. It's important we get that thing clear. I keep on explaining to Christians. God said, You bring to me animals with defects. Say, Take them to your governor. Was talking to, to, to Malachi was talking to the people of Israel. That tells us something. He said, take them to your governors. Would they accept those things from your hands? What does that tell you? It tells us something. You say, okay, I want to give to God so I can get from him. He said, do that to your wife. Will she take it from you? Do that to your husband. Will she accept it? Say, my husband, I want to take good care of you this night. No, tomorrow, I'm believing that you will allow me and my children to go on holidays to Switzerland. <laughs> you notice that? That one will be offering. Want to give me food and take care of me? Why? I know what they are looking for. 
Even my mates know that that's not how it's done. How much more God? And he said in that Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Before I look at what people are doing, I check why. What is propelling them? That propelling force is called the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. That is, what is the nature of God in you that's pushing you? Causing you to do things. As many as have the nature of God inside them, propelling them to do things. These are the sons of God. So I'm emphasizing to us Christians. Yes, there is a way to give as given to God. But we must have the right motives. And the motive must be based on faith. If you read my uh, tract, what I call cheerful giver. I said the cheerful giver is not somebody who's dancing when it's giving time. Because the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outside. God was saying to Samuel, But I, the Lord, I look at the heart. Peter called it the inward man of the heart. So the man, when God says somebody's a cheerful giver, it means it's not the dancing. It's not the, okay, today let's dance as we give unto the Lord. That's not what makes somebody cheerful. A cheerful giver is a giver of faith. Somebody who gives because he or she understands that my life is in the hands of God. Is a giver of faith. Somebody who says, my tomorrow is secure in his hands. Somebody who's obeying the words of the Lord Jesus. When he says simply, take no thought for the morrow. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, or wherewithal where shall you be clothed. When somebody is not worried about tomorrow, and the person gives because he's not worried, she's not worried, then that fellow is a cheerful giver. 